0: This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.
1: Coming up, we're going to talk art with the folks from the Vancouver Art Gallery. I'm Martin Strong. But first, on this edition of Vancouver Consumer, here's the consumer headlines from the past week. Now that spring is kicking into high gear, you may find yourself outside washing your car. Well, here's something to think about. Washing your car on the street or on a paved private driveway is technically illegal, according to the city of Vancouver. That's because the soap and grease runoff gets washed into curb drains and pollutes waterways. It's the same bylaw that also prohibits greasing or repairing vehicles on any street unless it's an emergency repair. A spokesperson for the City of Vancouver recommended this week that residents go to a car wash instead. It's because they have special drains and use recirculating water and typically use seven times less water than washing in your driveway. Residents who are unable to make it to a car wash are permitted to wash their vehicles on unpaved surfaces, such as dirt or gravel driveways or lawns, because they have their own drainage. In the same way that water bylaws are enforceable on private property, such as when you water your lawn, the city confirms that it can issue fines to those who insist on washing their cars on paved driveways or even in their garage if you break the bylaw, you could face a ticket of 125 bucks, and that's if you pay within a couple of weeks. If you wait more than a month, that fine could be three hundred and seventy-five dollars. Transport Minister Omar Algebra is laying out a plan to close loopholes that airlines were using to avoid compensating travelers for last-minute cancellations and delays. The airlines had been saying that the reasons for the delay were all about safety, so that meant they were off the hook for any obligation to pay back customers. These new reforms will force the airlines to show exactly why a flight disruption was caused by safety concerns or reasons outside their control. They also increase the maximum penalty for carrier violations by 10 times to $250,000. So how bad are labor shortages these days? According to the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, the average small business owner is working 54 hours a week because they just can't find help. Its survey finds 59% of small and medium-sized businesses are affected by a lack of staff and that the problem is getting worse. The Federation says the problem is even more pronounced in Alberta where 76% of small business owners affected by labor shortages are working more hours. The Vancouver Aquarium will soon be saying goodbye to the four African penguins it has been housing since 2012. The penguins, Hope, Steveston, Salt Spring, and Seashelt are all being moved to Edmonton in May. The aquarium says the four birds will be joining a much larger colony of 17 African penguins, and will be participating in a breeding program. And this is a great idea. A Little League in New Jersey is taking aim at spectators and parents who fight with volunteer umpires over calls they don't like. Deptford Township Little League baseball officials say anyone caught fighting with the umps could be forced to call three games themselves before they'll be allowed back in the bleachers. They'll have to see what it's like. It's a big problem. Two volunteer umpires have just quit in the past week. They're sick of dealing with angry parents. And the league says if this new rule gets used, a certified ump will be on the the field to make sure that the fill-in ump makes the right calls. This is Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong. And up next, we'll look at the world of art with the folks from the Vancouver Art Gallery. It doesn't have to be a stuffing, stuffy, boring experience. And the VAG has a lot of new experiences that you and your family can have a lot of fun with. Plus, they've got some big plans for their new location. We'll get the latest scoop on that when Vancouver Consumer continues right after this.
0: This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and
1: policies of CKNW. Welcome back. I'm Martin Strong. And when you think about the cultural center of Vancouver, the Vancouver Art Gallery often comes to mind. Their current location between Robson and West Georgia on Hornby is the place where people meet to celebrate, to protest, uh, to smoke weed. And that's just outside. Inside is a world-class art gallery that hosts some of the most exciting international exhibitions and also houses an expansive, permanent collection of art with over 1,200 pieces, both international and showcasing this part of the world. And that's the great part. Their group of seven paintings, for example, just stunning. Their collection of Indigenous art is growing all the time. Some very exciting stuff going on there. And to talk about it all, from the Vancouver Art Gallery, is the VAG's Director of Public Engagement and Learning, Sarish Rao. Hi, Sarish. Thanks for being here.
2: Martin, lovely to be here with you. Thanks.
1: Yeah. And I I just love the Vancouver Art Gallery. Um, I have some very, very, very good memories when my kids were small. We had a family Mm -hmm. membership, which, which, by the way, is a great deal, a family membership, because you can go, you know, for the year, you can go as many times as you want. But we used to bring our kids there, and there was always so much to do. And that's what I loved about the Vancouver Art Gallery.
2: Oh, that's interactive, right, Martin. Um, you know, part of my role is is uh, uh, my team does the family and, and school visits. And that is perhaps one of the most delightful parts of my role. Um, it's right now we have actually free entry for anyone under 18. Right. Um, so, you know, kids, teens can drop in with their parents and it's um, we've got these Watercolor drop- in studio classes on the weekends, and um, something I observed recently was we were watching families in which grandparents and kids don't speak the same language I mean actually the same the same cultural language but also the same language you know you might wow. have a a grandparent who's speaking Punjabi or Mandarin or tagalog and a and a grandchild who's grown up only in Canada without access to. Um, their mother language and when they're working together on an art project somehow they're able to create transcending language and that's so beautiful to see when you when you see that um, in action so yeah thanks for thanks for speaking of the of the family programming because that's dear to my heart
1: yeah because i think little kids can teach adults a lot about how to enjoy an art gallery they, because they're so unpretentious about it, and they, they yeah. just sort of follow what's exciting for them. And I think we can learn a lot, right?
2: You know, most artists, I think, are trying very, very hard to reach that inner child of theirs. Um, and, and, you know, the successful ones do it. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's kids who have a sort of unfettered delight in a way. To be able to respond to art without having to intellectualize it, a lot of I think a lot of change in the way that art galleries do things, and certainly at Michael's art gallery too, is this move away from what used to be an art gallery experience. You know, you just, it used to be that you went into this place that stunned you into silence, and then you sort of shuffled through in an orderly line past a whole bunch of paintings, <laughs> and then you left barely understanding what you'd read on the on the on the captions over there. And that's not how we imagine galleries to be now. And certainly, you know, the change we've been making already at the Vancouver Art Gallery before we even have the new building uh, five years from now is to sort of demystify what an art gallery is. So it is now, you know, we're working to make this a place of welcome, a place where people come in and understand and are communicated to. So we have tours and we have educators taking people on tours we have free tours every weekend in in English, in Punjabi, in Cantonese, in Mandarin, that um, invite people to understand what the art is. So I think there used to be this idea that art or that great art actually should not communicate, whereas the opposite is true. And um, it's so it's so rewarding to work with kids that way because they don't care about intellectualizing
1: you know, what <laughs>
2: the artist might have meant. They're like, "This is no good," or "I love these colors." and and at some very basic level, that should be how you read art.
1: Yeah, and w- one of the things that I recently saw—I guess it was about a year ago now—the mm. uh, Yoko Ono exhibition at the Vancouver oh, yeah. Art Gallery, and yeah. that struck me as as uh, just a really good example. Even though it's somebody who who has been making art for many many years and is, mm-hmm. is sort of an elder herself, Yoko Ono, mm-hmm. but. The whole thing was so interactive and there was so there yeah. were there were things from she, she actually asked local people to to write down their experiences and that was part of the exhibition and people were, were touching things and, and taping up broken ceramics and yeah, it was yeah, so interactive. Yeah. I I love that so much.
2: Yeah, and you know, it's that making of art as well. Not 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 just that you consume art as a passive visitor but and that's what i you know even our school programs and that's perhaps a bit of an undersung part of what the gallery does is every day there are four school groups that come through the gallery four times a week so there's twenty five thousand kids who come to the gallery every year from schools and uh, are taken through with with educators and docents um, and I've gone on some of these tours partly because I just love learning along with the kids. Um, and um, it's it's kind of like you watch them go through the gallery, and at the end of it, I remember this from a tour we did of the amazing Haida Master Robert Davidson's recent exhibition there, and um, you see a couple of kids looking stunned in a good way. You know, they look a little, <laughs> a little dazed, and you know that something happened today, that your your perspective, you, you had a transformative experience. Some You have a new perspective now, and I don't know when it's going to affect you and how it's going to affect your life, but something changed today. And that's really what I think um, an art gallery can do, which it did for me, certainly, uh, in my life. And so, yeah, just being able to be exposed to great thinking and great creativity. And then the beautiful thing was that the school kids at the end of their tour, actually make a print themselves after having learned how Robert Davidson used the Haida visual alphabet to work those shapes over and over again until those shapes became his own. And then he formed his own language using the language of his ancestors. And And that is also what we're all trying to do. You know, we have our cultural inheritances, we have the things we know, and then you you imbibe them and you repeat them. And then suddenly you find that you have a language of your own. And To watch that happen to kids in the process of two hours, uh, because of their ability to, almost volcanic ability to take something and grow it in front of your eyes, um, is is really inspiring.
1: Yeah, you can almost listen to their minds being blown.
2: (laughs) I know, it's that crackle, I'm like, what happened to me? I used to learn, and now I feel like. In the last decade, I'm done. You know, I'm not materially different. <laughs> and I look at these kids and like, oh my God, you came in in two hours, you're, you're another you're another being. Yeah.
1: <laughs> We're you know. talking to Sirish Rao, the Director of Public Engagement and Learning at the Vancouver Art Gallery. And uh, let's talk about uh, people who are, might be listening who haven't been to the art gallery in a while and it, it seems like a good idea and they just haven't got around to it in a while um what's your advice to them you know like because i i think sometimes you know the art gallery the art gallery can be kind of an intimidating thing so what do you say to people who who think well maybe it's time to go visit the art gallery what do you say to them
2: yeah you know sure martin you know first of all my role is to extend the warmest welcome to everyone to the gallery. I know that it's housed inside a former provincial courthouse. So it has a sort of, <laughs> you know, it's it's not really saying, come on in, in, term, in terms of the building, which is part of why we're looking at this new building in five years that is light-filled, that is wrapped in a copper woven embrace by four Coast Salish artists that really embodies that invitation. But before we go there, the invitation has ch- certainly changed in the way that uh, the gallery thinks of itself. Um, and, oh, of course, COVID has come and hit and changed the way that people go to places. But I'd say, if you haven't been in a while, please come and see. The the exhibits are um, are incredible. And we also have, we've just launched, um, you know, in this partnership with BMO, um, starting next Friday, May 5th, so coming up really soon, uh, a free admission to the public. It used, we used to have a buy donation night, and now it's completely free on the first right. Friday of every month. So it's 4 to 8 p.m., so it's a Friday evening, finish work, come to the gallery, and we are. And, and often I think when people offer free access to galleries, you kind of get the bare minimum, but what we've decided to do is program heavily and offer more on those free Friday nights. So this night we'll have a DJ, we'll have a lobby lounge bar that people can access, um, and we have this incredible um, – um, Mexican artist Pedro Reyes who's kind of a superstar in the contemporary art world he's, his work showed at the Guggenheim he's I think currently the, the artist in residence at MIT and he's doing this wonderful installation for us in our offsite space which is done by the Shangri-La Hotel and right. it's this strange set of sculptures that look like they're cars or dogs or walking beings automatrons. you can't really figure out what it is and in fact his statement is what are they, what are they doing here um, so he's going to lead people from the gallery in a series of funny walks. It's almost like a choreographed dance walk that everyone will have to do with him down the street to Offside and then back again. Um, because sometimes you can just make a city more interesting and more lively by just having fun and doing an arty ministry of silly walks. And, <laughs> and, and so we walk down there, come back and then, um, People can experience all the shows in the gallery for free, and then he gives a talk. Um, and he's a brilliant speaker. So, you know, you have DJ, you have music, you have movement, you have talks. So it, it really, we are inviting people to engage in so many different ways. Um, and I'd say, yeah, Friday, May 6th is our first free Friday night. Come out to that. If you've not checked it out for a while, that's your best chance of, like, just come by, drop in. It's all free. And experience it. And, you know, we'll keep holding that invitation out every Friday, first free Friday. Just come by and check it out.
1: Oh, that's great. So every ever the first Friday of every month is free. And uh, that just happens to be this coming Friday. In exactly. And, you and know, it's of...
2: easy to remember because of the alliterative qualities of first free Friday. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did that enter in the meeting? Is that what came up?
2: Yeah. No, it just it just happened. But it's it's easy enough. First free Friday. And yeah, I mean, I think I'm looking forward in terms of programming to really use that as a chance to also experiment, you know, and and, and maybe explore a little bit what happens inside an art gallery. You know, we have DJ Aziz this Friday evening. And he's really, you know, known for his Afro beats music. And um, he, sets a, he sets a beautiful, warm invitation. Um, we worked with him in a, in a collaboration with a wonderful group here called Afrovan Connects, who, um, who do amazing work in, in gathering the Black community here. And so it is a series. It's a bunch of partnerships as well of different voices in the gallery at the same time
1: yeah it sounds great so uh the first friday of every month is free and also i urge you to go to the website vanartgallery.bc.ca and uh, look at the the membership options because you can get a an individual membership i think for as low as 58 dollars. you can get a family membership and you can go as many times as you want so go to vanartgallery.bc.ca and when we come back, we're going to talk more with Sarish Rao. He's the director of public engagement and learning at the Vancouver Art Gallery. And when we come back, I want to ask Sarish about this new gallery space that they will be moving into in about five years. You may have seen the, the rendering uh, illustrations. It's going to be a, just an incredible thing and uh we'll find out how that's going when vancouver consumer continues right after this i'm martin strong
0: this is a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser the opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of cknw
1: welcome back to vancouver consumer i'm martin strong and we are talking about art not the stuffy kind of art, but the the uh, welcoming kind of fun art that you can find at the Vancouver Art Gallery. Uh, and we are talking with Sarish Rao, who is the VAG's director of public engagement and learning, all about what's going on and and how art galleries are evolving into something uh, something more sort of I don't know what the word is welcoming. But also more interactive and and just a lot of fun. And uh Suresh, let's talk about this new building because we we've, we've seen the the drawings of what it's going to be, and it's it's mm-hmm. not very it's not very far from the current location, is it?
2: No, it's just down the road, Martin. But um, it's you know why I'm really excited myself uh, to be at the gallery at this moment is because many museums and galleries around the world are rethinking um, what they are. You know, it's, it's not always been galleries have sometimes been built more like fortresses. And you feel Mm -hmm. like, you know, traditionally an art gallery was a, was a bit of a pompous space really. And people, not everyone felt comfortable going in, in those doors. And that, that still holds true today. And I think it's time for a, for a reimagining of what a gallery can be um, in, in this moment, because I think that era is gone, and i don 't think um, I don't think society at large wants those spaces. What we do want is a public gathering space that belongs to everybody, and I think that's the opportunity we have in Vancouver because very very rarely do you get the chance to imagine a new building while you're reimagining what a gallery or a museum should be, while society is also changing. I mean, I think people are asking a lot of questions about what these kind of, you know, um, institutions should be like. So we're really looking at the at the gallery uh, as a place of welcome, as in a place of gathering, and a place that belongs to many, many people, and it has to be that. Um, I'm certainly in my work in community engagement and in programming, being led by the fact that. Art, an artist got us through the worst times of COVID, you know, when we were feeling disconnected. Almost everyone went to books or music or art or film to lift them out of what was not a very pleasant reality. And I think art has always had that sense of possibility. So the new gallery will be a space of healing, a space of learning and a space of gathering. And I think that's extremely exciting to me. I mean, for one, we'll have classroom spaces there, which we don't have here. I mean, I told you we had twenty-five thousand school kids coming through the gallery every year, and we don't have a classroom space. And there, they, not only will we have a classroom space, we'll also have a childcare space, um, which is, you know, amazing to me as a parent. Uh, I know how hard childcare spaces are to come by. And then, mm-hmm. as a program of, you know, there's going to be outdoor courtyard spaces to program, where we can do. You know, programs that don't—you don't need to pay to get in. You just enter a courtyard. There's music, there's sculpture, and then there's going to be an auditorium that we can partner with other organizations to program. I think a lot of it is partnership, and um, really making sure that we create a space that is a public square, is where people can come and feel like this is this is my space. Just kind of and moving I'll... away. Yeah. No, go ahead, please. No, 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 no. It's been, um, I said this... I'll just keep rambling. So <laughs> <laughs> by all means, by all means cut
1: me off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, I you were saying it's sort of moving away from that, that old fashioned idea. And and I mm-hmm. guess when when this when the idea for the new space yeah. uh, was first floated, that was much pre-COVID, I guess yeah. since COVID, ha- has the idea of it changed much? Has it really Has it really affected the plans for the new art gallery?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think COVID has changed. We also have new leadership at the gallery. Um, you know, we have a new CEO, Anthony Kendall, who just came in in the middle of COVID sort of two years ago. I've joined recently. A whole bunch of folks have joined recently with this invitation and this vision to reimagine it. Um, and I think um, it's also really important to note that the building, the, the whole building is wrapped, embraced by a copper weave um, with amazing um, Indigenous artists from the host nation. So we have Deborah Sparrow, Buddy Joseph, uh, Chief Janice George, and Angelo George. So four artists from the host nations whose work is going to be the exterior of the building. But it's not just, you know, it's not doesn't stop at that symbolic thing of the exterior, but you know, Elder Buddy Joseph is actually our our elder in residence. And I've been speaking to him about how do we program meaningfully? I mean, in this place, because we are connected to this particular land and the history here. And he's saying, oh, you know, why don't you think about seasons? Like there's berry season and there's salmon season. So you can think of that in the way you program and let that inform maybe the ebb and flow of how the gallery breathes, you know, because every institution has a breathing base. When do people come in? How do they feel when they come in? How do they go out? So this is certainly not an achieved state. We're going to have to work at it. And hopefully the new building will help us, you know, embrace that more meaningfully. But we have to start behaving now in this current courthouse in which so many judgments were delivered where people (laughs) like myself or indigenous people were basically would show up there only to get sent to jail or something. You know, it's, it's it's pretty interesting to turn a place like that into a place of welcome. And, I, you know, it's so many folks in the gallery now are really committed to doing that. And I think it's uh, it's a moment, it's a moment of change.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting. And the Vancouver Art Gallery, their um, uh, work with Indigenous artists is, is it's only been relatively recently that they've curated a lot of indigenous art, isn't it? I, I think it was in before this in the eight, before the eighties, it yeah. was kind of left up to um, sort of other institutions to kind of curate indigenous art, but that has changed,
2: right? It has changed. I mean, I have to say that um, you know, curators, individual curators, always have led the way, and they've been they've been amazing shows before. Um, but as an ins- as institutionally, it requires a, a different kind of thinking. And, and certainly, if you go in now, in fact, I wanted to say one of the exhibitions we have on now is called "The Children Have to Hear Another Story." It's uh, it's by the amazing Abenaki filmmaker Alanis Obomsawin, mm-hmm. and um, she is 90 and an absolute inspiration. I mean, she's like you. would She's been a model, she's been a filmmaker, a singer. She was at Woodstock. She said recently, like I was like, oh yeah, I was a was you know, wow. I was on stage there. Um, and she's been a fashion model. And um, somewhere in the 60s, she was um, hired as a consultant for the NFB, the National Film Board. She picked up a camera and began to tell the first stories of indigenous people um, in, in, in Canada. And, and that's, you know, the 50 films she's made are, are, are the repository of her work. And when she came here, we're like, um, what do you want to do for fun? I mean, you've got, the, um, you've got the exhibition opening and your talk and all that. She's like, I'd like to meet kids. That's what I'd like to do for fun. So, we to, we did a lot of school visits with her. She went out to school, She met kids, and that is the kind of work I think that we're beginning to do more of, which is leave the building, go outside, you know, meet people where they are, and that is also the work of a public institution like ours is to is to step out of our geographic boundaries as well. And I think all of this is you know is really making me excited about the work we're doing. And, and again, if someone really wants to engage with you know, we hear a lot about residential schools. We hear about a lot about the history and the current, um, you know, treatment of Indigenous people in this country. And if you come to this exhibition, you really get a sense through her life work, um, an amazing um, documentary of what she's been able to see. And it's it's in it's again in this. You get an education in, in two or three hours. You you really get a, a deep sense of what it means. Um, you know, rather than. And years and years reading books and only
1: knowing half truths about things. Yeah, and that is on now at the Vancouver Art That's Gallery. That's on
2: right now at the Vancouver Art Gallery and as I said if you come on on the first Friday night uh, from 4 to 8 p.m. it's it's free and you can mm-hmm. just come and check it out and
1: Yeah, and go to vanartgallery.bc.ca uh for all the information uh, and uh, you know if you want to become a member and they have some really reasonable uh, rates for becoming a member. You can get a family membership, an individual membership. And uh, it's it's really worth having because you feel like when, you, when you're when you a member of the Vancouver Art Gallery, it feels like it's yours. And you can go there whenever you want. It's not a big deal to go to the gallery. You can go there and walk in and out in, in a half an hour if you feel like it. because You know, got that's the that thing, Martin.
2: I, that, I love that, actually. You know, so if you become a member, which is, you know, it's, $58 for the year, you can actually go in and spend just 20 minutes with one artwork, and I'd highly recommend that. Be, you know, one of the things that people go to galleries, they see like 500 artworks, they go to three floors, and by the time you're done, you feel this oxygen deprivation and you're like, ah, I need to get out of here. Um, that's yeah. because you've overconsumed almost. It's an oversaturation of it's too much stuff. So I really yeah. highly recommend going in, spending time with a few artworks, come out again. And there's more and more research has showed that people's mental wellness increases when you go to art galleries, when you encounter art. So you, you know, you go there, you come out feeling better. It's actually, you know, doctors are more and more prescribing people to visit art galleries um, to, to improve their mood. So I would say like, just as you go, um, and this is, um, this is something that is, is really important to do is to, is to go and give yourself fresh air, get a walk, go to, go visit, an art gallery, make that part of what you do. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's amazing.
1: All right. And can you tell us about the art party series in about a minute?
2: (laughs) Yes, I can. Um, May the 26th is our first public party in a long time. We used to have this program called Fuse, which was a big party on all levels of the gallery um, where the public could come as well. And right now it's mostly been events for members only but we have an exhibition opening called Fashion Fictions which looks at art in fashion and it's some of the most amazing designers from all over the world you know major names like Issey Miyake and Balmain but also emerging designers um, people who are using technology sustainable fashion and there's going to be an incredible show there's a whole section of sneakers of puffer jackets of you know contemporary streetwear Okuto And the party is themed fashion fiction, so people can dress up to their fashion fiction best and uh, show up and have a red carpet experience. And, you know, come to the gallery, uh, DJs on all levels and performances and indigenous models doing incredible dance and um, walkthrough performances with Vancouver Indigenous Fashion Week. It's going to be an incredible party on May the 26th, and the tickets just went live for that. Um, And I'd say come to that as well. If you're a party type, come to that. If you just want to dip your toes in, come in on this Friday at 4 p.m.
1: Anything but old and stuffy. That's the Vancouver Art Gallery. Go to vanartgallery.bc.ca for more information. And remember, next Friday is a, is a free Friday. Uh, Sarish Rao, Director of Public Engagement and Learning. Thanks so much for talking to us.
2: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having
1: me, Mark. Uh, you're very welcome. This is Vancouver Consumer. And when we come back, a mystery from 1947: a missing plane. That never made it to Vancouver Airport. Still a lot of questions about it. I've got that story about that ill-fated flight and more when Vancouver Consumer continues right after this.
0: This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.
1: Welcome back. I'm Martin Strong. Time for some Today in Vancouver History. It was on this day, April 29th, 1947, that a search was mounted for an airplane that went missing just before midnight. It was 11.13 p.m. on April 28th when the pilot of a Trans Canada Airlines flight messaged Vancouver Airport saying that they would be landing there in a couple of minutes. Captain W.G. Pike sounded calm and relaxed. Everything seemed cool, but that's the last they would hear from him. As those minutes turned to hours, with no plane arriving at the airport and no word on the radio, a search plane was sent out at 1.30 in the morning of April 29th to look for the missing Lockheed Lodestar. That flight was coming into Vancouver from Toronto. It had made a stop in Lethbridge, Alberta before its scheduled landing here. The plane was carrying 12 passengers and three crew. Seven of those people were from Vancouver, looking forward to getting home. Two of them were student nurses at VGH, returning from a vacation. Also on the passenger list, a couple from Winnipeg on their honeymoon. After that first search plane turned up nothing, they continued to look, and by noon of the 29th, There were 19 aircraft, four boats, and a U.S. Coast Guard craft that had joined the hunt. Despite lots of reports of wreckages and oil slicks, the search didn't turn up a thing. The story dominated the headlines of the Vancouver newspapers for a week. The Sun and the Province newspapers even hired their own planes to do a search. The papers pointed out that if the plane had indeed crashed, it could be the worst accident in Trans-Canada Airlines history. Previously, the highest fatil- fat- fatalities rather, in a TCA accident were the 12 people killed in a 1941 crash in Thunder Bay, Ontario. None of the initial search sites panned out as they searched the outlying areas of Vancouver. So the search was expanded couple of days later, a bunch of people in Deep Cove said they saw flashing lights and flares on the side of Mount Coquitlam near Bunsen Lake, but nothing, nothing. Two days later, a helicopter was brought in from Seattle to help with the search. Despite going over 12,000 square miles, still they turned up nothing. So did this plane... Plunge into Georgia Strait? Did it crash into a mountain where it disappeared under snow? Did it fly so far off course that it was out of the search area? Still no answer. As the spring of 1947 turned into the summer, the mystery of the missing plane that didn't show up at the Vancouver airport would slowly go further back from the front pages of the newspaper, and it was slowly forgotten by most of the general public. As the years went on, it was believed that the mystery of TCA's Flight 3 in the spring of 1947 would never be solved. That was until 45 years later. In 1992, a hiker in the North Shore walking in the Seymour Demonstration Forest on Mount Elsay stumbled on the remains of a very old plane At first, Mike Neal didn't even report it. He just assumed that lots of people had already seen it and knew it was there. But he did take some pictures, and those pictures were eventually seen by local aviation experts who two years later identified it as the missing Lockheed Lodestar. In Neal's words, it looked like the pilot came in full force. The main part of the plane was crunched right up. Those are his words. So what caused the crash? It had only been a few minutes before the scheduled landing that the pilot had calmly radioed in. It was raining heavily, but this was Vancouver in April and the landing conditions were not considered all that difficult. So while the search for the wreckage had ended, the cause of the crash will probably stay a mystery. And that search was first started in the early hours of this day, April 29th, 1947. Coming up we'll have the consumer news of the week including a look at uh, this spectacular new amphitheater at the PNE it'll be our first look uh, and a disturbing look at how deep fake technology is affecting the world of pornography that's all when Vancouver consumer continues right after this